Music and murder contains violence, oh. profanity, oh. and graphic material that may not be suitable for children oh. or people with weak stomachs. Oh. Parental advisory is definitely recommended. What the fuck is up? This is the place to be listening to Eminem with Michael fucking D. Long time no hear. I would have put out more episodes, but i just been so, so, so fucking busy. And school almost killed me this semester, like literally. But I'm back, bigger and better and brighter than ever. This is episode 12 of Music and Murder. I am Michael D. Keeney, and this episode is about one of the biggest singer-songwriters in the world, who was a paranoid schizophrenic and a cocaine addict, which is not a very good mix. And I'm going to warn you right now, this episode kind of sounds a little like a Jerry Springer episode, but it's not. It's all real. And right here for you to take it in like a big old bong hit. So sit back, light it up, and inhale the fuck out of this episode. Thank you so much for being with me. It means a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, lot. Because regardless of what some people say about me, I'm a nice and sincere person that appreciates each and every one of you. Now saddle up and hop on and take a little ride with me. And this will make more sense later, but... Let's get it on. Superstar, a Motown legend. He was the prince of Motown. He was truly that that kind of a person. He had that kind of charisma where the ladies just loved him. But the smooth exterior and golden voice hit another very different Marvin Gaye. Paranoid, suicidal, addicted to cocaine. When he was good, he was really, really good. And when he was bad, he just wanted to get the hell out of the way.
March 31st, 1984, after a long, grueling year touring all around the world, the legendary singer Marvin Gaye shows up at the house that he bought his mother and father in Los Angeles, California, the city of demons. I mean, angels, sorry. It's easy to misconstrue what that city is more about these days. Nothing against Los Angeles, of course, but it can be a scary place in many different ways. But one thing for sure, Los Angeles is where you can find anything and everything you could ever want or need. It is the Mecca of America, in my opinion. Now, for those of you who are familiar with Los Angeles, the house that Marvin purchased for his parents in, uh, I think it was 1975, was at 2101 South Grimacy Place, 90018, which is the Hancock Park District of Los Angeles. This home was an older home built in 1905. And yeah, Marvin did purchase it in 1975. I'm looking at it right now. Likely with the big checks that came from the hit song, Let's Get It On, which came out in 1973. The house is still there today, if you'd like to see it. Now, when Marvin got back to the house, besides snorting and smoking a shit ton of cocaine, this is how a family friend described Marvin's behavior during the time he showed up at his parents' house that he bought them. There came a time when he just put on a, 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 a bathrobe and was just there in the house. You know, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. That's a, it's, it's a little Hugh Hefner-ish, but you know, you want to like get off on a world tour when you're like the biggest selling artist in the world and you want to go like do a ton of cocaine and put on a robe and chill at your parents' house in LA. Hey, more fucking power to you. Now, before we get into all this, we need to start from the very beginning. Now, Marvin Gaye was born in 1939 on April 2nd. His mother was named Alberta, and his father was named Marvin Gaye as well. But obviously, he was the senior version, kind of like my father. I will now refer to Marvin Gaye Jr., the recording superstar, as simply Marvin. So if you hear me say Marvin, I am not talking about his father. Marvin had three siblings, and he was the second oldest out of all of them. He had an older sister named Jean, and a younger brother named Frankie, and a younger sister named Ziola. It might be Zeola, I don't know, but I think it's Zeola. He also had two half-brothers. One was named Michael, which makes me already think that he's a dick, and he had a half-brother named Antoine. Now, Michael was his mother's son before she married Marvin's dad, Marvin Sr. And Antoine was born while Marvin's dad and mother were already married. Meaning, of course, that his father, Marvin Sr., not only had an affair with another woman, but he actually had a child with that woman while he was married to Marvin's mother. If you think that this is weird, just wait. Trust me, it gets much fucking better. Now, Marvin began singing as a child. He was singing gospel at his father's church by the age of five. He also played the drums as well. 
And all around, Marvin was just adored. This is a little clip from his sister talking about back in the good old days when he was singing at the church. People were amazed at his voice. He loved all the attention he was getting. All the nice things he was saying to my mother and father. Where did this boy get such a beautiful voice? Now, by the time Marvin was a teenager, he was already singing for money, or as we in the business call it, professionally. Marvin Sr. absolutely hated his son singing for money, and he thought it was the devil's music, which you will find kind of strange as we begin to learn a little more about Marvin's father. Like I stated before, the story gets a little strange. Now, despite the way that Marvin Sr. felt about him singing, Marvin's mother, Alberta, supported her son wholeheartedly and unconditionally, and she was proud to have a talented son. Here's a little clip of Marvin's tour manager talking about how his mother supported him through all of his music endeavors, even though his father didn't at all. She supported him, she encouraged him. Um, and I think that that is one of the primary reasons that she was so important in his life. She, she symbolized for him um, what it would be like, unconditional love. <sighs> unconditional love. Good luck if you find it. It's not easy. And if you do find it, hold the fuck on to it because it's not very prevalent. Now this story kind of reminds me of the Johnny Cash story, right? The wrong son died. If any of you have ever seen Dewey Cox, you know what I'm talking about. Walk Hard. And uh, that's a good movie. So I would definitely recommend that if you haven't seen that. So there is a little difference between Marvin Gaye's father and Johnny Cash's father. And we will get into that really soon. Right here is a song from Jelly Roll. And it is called Save Me. And I will be right back. Shit! 
my hopes and my dreams Welcome back, y'all. And before I forget, there will be a special after-episode discussion with someone in the music industry that I think you're going to find at least a little bit interesting. He's, like, met every rock star in the world and worked with them, so I think you might want to stick around and hear some good stories while we discuss this episode. So, back to where we were. Marvin, as in Marvin Gaye Jr., the singer, Marvin was born in Washington, D.C., where to this day, May 1st in Washington, D.C., is considered a holiday, which they call Gay Day. And no, that's not a joke. Marvin's birth name was Marvin Pence Gay Jr., and his last name was actually spelled G-A-Y, but he later changed it to G-A-Y-E when he received his first record deal with the legendary Motown Records. Most of you over the age of 30 will likely know about Motown Records, and I'm sure even most of you millennials will know about it as well. I mean, vintage is hip these days, and for the first time in history, young people actually agree that their music sucks. No judgment, just saying. And yeah, I hate that phrase too, but only when other people say it, not when I say it. So let's talk a second about Marvin's dad. Marvin Gay Sr. He was a very extremely complex, complicated human being. You see, Marvin Sr. was an alcoholic, cross-dressing preacher. 
And I have no idea how to word that any better. I'm not racist, homophobic, or anything like that. So if I word something incorrectly to the ever-changing appropriate and inappropriate vernacular, please spare me the I'm offended, he needs to be canceled bullshit. Because trust me, first off, if I was a racist or a homophobic, I'd have, or a homophobic person, I'd have no trouble telling you this. And secondly, I'm not popular enough to cancel, so... Now, Marvin Sr. wasn't only a cross-dressing preacher, as in like in a private manner. No, he was actually very open with this and had no problem with everybody knowing, which I respect. But for Marvin, this meant that he was basically mentally, emotionally, and physically tortured all through his, his entire childhood by his friends and the people that he grew up around, his neighbors. And if that wasn't bad enough, his father was also very sadistic. As in, he'd beat the fuck out of Marvin regularly. And this never ended. Well, not until everything ended. And how many times have I talked about people's dads beating the fuck out of them, right? It's just, it's just like a non-stop thing on this show. And any show that you really hear about that deals with murder, there is an abusive father. So anybody that's an abusive father out there, go fuck yourself because you need to like be nice to your kids. Here's biographer David Ritz speaking about Marvin and his dad's relationship. They were like in two different worlds. They didn't acknowledge each other. I've never seen such a strained relationship between two people. You could kind of feel uh, the vitriol. So this rivalry between Marvin and his dad, it never ever ended and it was never ever good and it was never civil. But back to Motown Records for a second, which was also called Hitsville for a time. It was founded and created by Barry Gordy Jr. in 1960 and was named after Motor City, which is Detroit, Michigan. So getting back to Marvin changing his name. Between his father being a cross-dressing preacher and his last name being G-A-Y, and of course this being in the days of closed-minded homophobic idiocy, the rumors quickly began to spread that Marvin was actually into other men. And back then, this was extremely unacceptable. So Marvin changed his name and began to make it very well known that he was into the ladies, which was the truth. From what I've read about Marvin, he most definitely does not seem to be the type that would fake anything. He was a real, true artist, as real as it gets. Marvin would later get married twice, but both marriages ended in divorce. His first wife was named Anna Ruby Gordy, who was actually the sister of the aforementioned owner of Motown Records, Barry Gordy Jr. So Marvin not only got married, he married into Motown royalty. In fact, she was the first person to sign Marvin under her own record label, which was called Anna Records. Very original, right? I'm going to start a record label called Michael Records. Marvin and Anna met in 1959, and Marvin was in a band called Harvey and the New Moon Glows. 
stupidest fucking name of a band I've ever heard. If you like it, sorry. With the staff that agree to disagree. She stole him, dated him, fell in love with him, married him in 1963, and divorced him in 1977. Probably because he was at one time a new moon glow. I don't know. It's a horrible fucking name. I can't. And as soon as they divorced, Marvin then married a 17-year-old. Yes, you're right. He was 34 years old. She was 17. He was twice her age. Her name was Jan. Marvin Gaye and Jan Hunter lasted around three years. Now, their marriage was kind of a living hell. Jan wrote a book about her time with Marvin called After the Dance. My Life with Marvin Gaye. In this book, Jan writes about the numerous times that Marvin would force her to fuck other men while he watched, all coked out, of course. And then he'd threaten her and get completely jealous of her fucking multiple men that he made her fuck. Sometimes it was one, sometimes it was two or three at the same time. I can't remember exactly the way that it went, but yeah, coke orgies that he would force her to do. Basically, he wanted his life to be a porn movie mixed with Scarface. Hmm. Marvin didn't want the marriage to end. It was Jan who left him, and probably for good reasons. And this, uh, through an already extremely fragile and addicted Marvin, put him into a whirlwind of cocaine, cocaine, and more cocaine. If you've seen Dewey Cox, like I was talking about earlier, cocaine, cocaine. He did two lines before he did two lines, and then he did two more. Wrote a song about it. Want to hear it? Here it go.
she's been waiting A job in line for the fiending man Cause he wants one You know, you know you got to Can you feel it, can you feel it tonight Are you alone? Tell me, are you fucking high? In the moment you are just so Welcome back. My name is Michael D. Keeney, and I'm your host for Music and Murder. And if you hear any sounds in the background, it's Memorial Weekend, and I do this out of my garage. So I'm getting ready to start doing it out of a studio now that it's going to work out, and I know that this is going to actually be a show that's going to stay around. But for right now, yeah, we're in a garage by the lake where everybody's partying, so... I don't get the party, I have to make this episode, but it's cool because that's what I like to do. Now, to get back to where we were, the time is now 1984, and superstar singer and songwriter Marvin Gaye, also known as the Prince of Motown and the Prince of Soul, is fresh off of a world tour where he was literally so coked out of his mind that he thought that multiple people were trying to kill him. Now, I, I say that cautiously because maybe there were multiple people trying to kill him who, who the fuck knows we don't know but everybody around him seemed to think that he was so coked out of his mind that people wanted to kill him and there was really nobody wanted to kill him and he had plenty of security this is what we in the criminology field call drug-induced psychosis people from my hometown of fresno used to call it seeing shadow people and you know what? It is possible that there really are shadow people all around us, but perhaps you need to snort an eight ball of coke or smoke a teener of crystal to see them. I mean, it's not much different than entering the other realms of other worlds by means of peyote, mushrooms, or other natural drugs, right? This shit's been going on for thousands of years, so maybe there is something there. Who knows? With that said, Marvin Gaye was experiencing drug-induced psychosis from cocaine use. And uh, Marvin actually kept his brother, Frankie, around as a decoy because Frankie looked a lot like Marvin. So in Marvin's mind, anyone that would want to kill him would totally mistakenly kill his brother instead. I mean, family is important, right? So keep him close, especially if they look like you and everybody wants to kill you. Now, during Marvin's last tour... He also began stripping down to his underwear during the last few sets of uh, songs of the set. So 
He'd play his set, then he would literally strip down to nothing but his underwear. And you can find clips of this on YouTube. And he just started doing this on his last tour. And this was because he was not happy. Like, he told people that he's just a sex symbol now and nobody cares about the music. It was said that Marvin was stripping like this because he felt like he was just a piece of meat. And, like I said, nobody cared about the music. They just cared about him being famous. They wanted to see him, so he gave him what, you know they wanted in his mind now I theorize that he was also stripping down to his underwear because it was just part of his coked out and odd irrational behavior it was part of the drug psychosis because he was more heavily allegedly he was more heavily into drugs during this last tour than he'd ever been in his entire life so I, I think it kind of had something to do with that for those of you that have seen the movie New Jack City I started having flashes of Pookie stripping down in the trap house before G-Money was able to tell that he was smoking crack. Hmm. Remember that part? Scotty, come and save me. I'm gonna die. White lips, pulling his clothes off because he was high as fuck. Yeah. So it could have been something like that. Now, I don't know. I wasn't there. But that's just what I'm theorizing. So Marvin is back at the L.A. house that he bought his mother and father. And let me reiterate... The father that used to beat Marvin, the alcoholic father that Marvin had been abused by his entire childhood, as he watched this man also abuse his mother as well. Now here's a clip of Marvin's sister Jean and his sister-in-law Irene and his tour manager all talking about how Marvin always ended up getting the worst of all the family beatings. We were punished and Marvin received more punishment than the rest of us because he was uh... A maverick, I always called him that. Even as a child, he did things differently. Marvin would test father. Frankie would tell me Marvin would test father a, lo a lot. The power struggle that they had actually was, um, um, in many ways, a, a way that Marvin sought approval and acceptance from his dad. Now, this feud between Marvin and his dad could very well be the exact reason why Marvin chose to go back there and stay his last days on Earth. I mean, he was rich, famous, and basically worshipped by millions and millions of people. So why not get a hotel room at the Four Seasons? Hell, why not rent the entire Four Seasons hotel? Maybe there was a method to this madness. Maybe this coked out, paranoid, delusional songwriter wasn't as crazy as everyone perceived that he was. Perhaps he was just ready to call it quits on his own terms after tying up some loose ends. We will get into that really soon, but we have to remember that Marvin at this time is likely beginning to experience flashbacks, being that he was in his mid-40s. Now there's something about the mid-40s that makes us all recall everything that has ever happened to us and most of us begin to drink or use more drugs as a result. I'm sure that you could probably think of some people in their mid-40s that are using a lot of drugs and more alcohol than they ever have. This flashback that Marvin was likely experiencing stemmed from his childhood, of course, and the trauma brought on by his dad's abuse and flamboyant lifestyle. Now here's that same author I played earlier reiterating what Marvin was likely focusing on during these flashbacks. Uh, the image of his dad as a preacher, this powerful, cross-dressing, church-front preacher who would come home and wear his 
wife's clothes. The shame that that imposed upon Marvin. Now, please remember that this isn't a bashing about his dad being a cross-dresser. I have no problem with that. I don't think anybody has a problem with that these days. That was a different time. It was a different place. It was a different era. Fuck, it was a different world back then. So it traumatized him. He had talked about it many times and fought with his dad over it many times. So anyway, moving on. Marvin's mother, Alberta, was the reason why Marvin supposedly and officially came back to that particular house, rather than renting out an entire floor of a fancy hotel. Whenever Marvin was over there, which was a lot since his last divorce, he'd have people in and out at all hours of the night. Usually, it was people that were uh, coming over to bring him cocaine and do cocaine with him, and probably women to have sex with him, I would imagine. Now, my response to this behavior was that Marvin literally did this on purpose just to fuck with his dad, who had messed his life up for so many years. What do I say so many times on the show? Don't fuck with your kids. They will grow up and fuck with you. Raise them, discipline them, teach them, and respect them. Don't hurt them, and definitely don't make them hate you. Don't make them hate you, because karma is real. And just when you think you're free and clear of all this bullshit, (laughs) it will come back and fuck you very hard and very fast. And you will regret all the bad shit you did to them. Now, nobody is perfect. Perfect doesn't even exist. But not being an abusive pile of shit is something that we all can accomplish. Every one of us. Trust me, you can do it. You can be a decent person. Especially to your kids that you brought into this world. Rant over. So Marvin's at the house and his mother's room is in between his father's room and his room. I know it's kind of strange, but I'm sure that was the way that Marvin set it up himself, especially since now he was the man in charge. Here's a clip of Marvin's tour manager, one of his addiction counselors, and his sister Zayla all talking about Marvin's relationship with his mother. I think the the deal that Marvin had was he started putting his mother in the middle of it because, you know, I can't fight you back, Daddy, but I can get Mama for you. And, and she loved him to death. And uh, he, he basically used his mom, you know, against his daddy. Marvin's mom in many ways was a peacemaker and a negotiator and a referee and a nurturer. I think that she was his anchor. I think that she was the one place that he felt loved. My father always knew there was a closeness between um, Marvin and his wife. He always knew that. It must have been really, really difficult on his dad. I just can't say it enough. Having a coked out son that you beat for so many years and was all around abusive towards, living in your house and doing blow all over the place, fucking women, having orgies and parties, and there's literally nothing you can do about it anymore because now he actually pays all the bills and he bought the house and he's one of the biggest stars in the world. Damn. So Marvin's main thing concerning his father was, don't fuck with my mother. 
And what did Marvin's father do? Hmm. Well, of course, he fucked with Marvin's mother. The two of them fought a lot. They were fighting over all kinds of stuff when Marvin had enough. He heard his dad abuse his mother for the last time. He ran into the kitchen on April 1st, 12.34 p.m., yelled at his father to quit yelling at his mother, and then, then, his dad, of course, yelled back at Marvin some very obscene things, and Marvin began to beat his dad up, physically beating him. All of this rage for so many years that was just building up inside of him came out all at once. Marvin finally, finally beat the shit out of his dad. And then he told him to get the fuck out of his house and walked away, left his dad lying there on the floor in the kitchen and walked back to his bedroom. It took a few minutes after the beating for his dad, Marvin Sr., to get up off the floor. But when he did, he walked to his room and picked up something that Marvin had bought him for Christmas just four months earlier. Now, this Christmas present that Marvin had given his father was a Smith & Wesson 38 Special, a gun that I myself personally own. We'll be right back with all the chilling and tragic details of what took place after the song from yours truly called Riding. And this is a this is a new mix. This was released in uh, 2017, but it was remixed like 2019. I know what you're thinking. This dick sure does play a lot of his own music on this show. And I have to agree with you. This dick does. Just let me know if you want a refund for what you spent on this episode, and I'll double it, and I'll send it back to you if it bothers you that I play some of my songs. And always remember, you can always forward right through them. Be right back. I'm 
Today is April 1st, April Fool's Day. The year is 1984, just like the Van Halen record that has Hot for Teacher on it. The place is Los Angeles, California. The time of the day is 12.38 p.m. Marvin had just beaten up his dad, Marvin Sr., in the kitchen after his mom and his dad were fighting over tax documents and insurance documents. And then Marvin's father, Marvin Sr., got up, went to his room, and retrieved his latest Christmas present that his son Marvin had bought him just four months prior. It was a Smith & Wesson 38 special. Marvin Sr. then proceeds to walk to Marvin Jr.'s room, and he opens the door. Marvin is laying on the bed. Marvin sees the gun in his dad's hand, and he began yelling at his dad to do it. Do it. Do it. Just do it. And his dad? Well, his dad did it. He rose the barrel of the gun, and he pointed it at his own son. His son, who was literally one of the biggest superstars in the entire world at the time. His son, who had bought the house that he lived in and his son who literally purchased the gun that he had in his hand. He rose the barrel of that gun, pointed it at his son, Marvin Gaye, and he pulled the trigger. Marvin Sr. shot Marvin in the heart and then proceeded to pull the trigger again and shot him once more in the shoulder. 
and then walked out of the room with a smoking gun in his hand. As he was walking out, Marvin's mother and his brother Frankie, you remember the one Marvin kept around when he was on tour as a decoy, came running into the room. Marvin Gaye died in his brother Frankie's arms. But before he died, Marvin told his brother with his dying breath these words. He whispered, I got what I wanted. I couldn't do it myself, so I had him do it. It's good. I ran my race, and there's no more left in me. In the words of Marvin Gaye's sister Jean, she stated, and I quote, Marvin accomplished the three things he wanted most. He put himself out of his misery and he brought relief to his mother by getting her abusive husband out of her life. And he punished his father by making certain that the rest of his life would be hell. My brother knew exactly what he was doing. End quote. So I ask you, my listeners, do you still think Marvin Gaye was a coked out crazy person? We'll never know. Nobody will ever know. But it does let you know that maybe, quite possibly, being a huge mega superstar isn't as glamorous as it seems. Marvin Gaye was shot at 12.38 p.m. in his bedroom, and he was officially pronounced dead at California Hospital Medical Center at 1.01 p.m. 43 minutes later. The coroner said that Marvin most definitely died as a result of the first shot that entered his heart. How he even lived long enough to tell his brother Frankie what he told him is a mystery. I still have my doubts to if it was even said at all, or if it was just folklore. For shooting his own son in the house that his own son bought him with a gun that he bought him, Marvin Sr. was initially charged with first-degree murder, but the charges were later reduced to voluntary manslaughter after he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Even though the DA had Arnold Schwarzenegger testify that It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. Marvin Gay Sr. was given a six-year suspended sentence and probation for killing his own son in cold blood. He finally died in a nursing home in 1998. The fact that he never had to go to jail really bothers me, you know? Pretty fucked up. In my opinion, Marvin Gaye Sr. should have died in prison. His father did, in a way, always threaten to do this as they were growing up, all four of his kids. And not in a joking way. Here's Marvin's sister, Ziola talking about their dad and how he reminded them all the time that he could always take them out. My father has always taught us, even from children, that we don't talk back, number one, and we certainly don't act as though we want to do any harm, number two. And um, he's always said if we did anything to raise our voices at him in that manner or to strike, that he brought us in this world, he can take us out. He should tell us that we were little kids. 
I really wonder if Frankie telling the police that Marvin said the things that he allegedly said when he was dying had anything to do with trying to keep his father out of prison. I mean, it is kind of hard to convict a man who allegedly, air quote, made you kill him, right? Marvin did accomplish everything any musician could ever hope and dream for. And his life was literally a complete living hell. He was never happy, nor was he ever proud of himself, nor did he ever find true love that lasted. One thing for sure though, Marvin Gaye left us all with some very amazing music that will last forever and ever. When people ask me what makes a good songwriter, I always say suffering, unhappiness, addiction, a complete lack of self-worth. You know, the type of shit that you don't get from a fucking idiotic songwriting class, or a workshop, or any of the stupid shit that predators in the music business try to sell you. And on that happy note, this wraps up episode 12 of Music and Murder. But remember, there's more, much more, on this very episode. We have an after-episode discussion that I really think you're going to find entertaining. It's with my friend Art Silva, and we're going to start off probably talking about how many times I did his mother. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how, how that goes. So please stick around for that. And honestly, seriously, it's been a pleasure. And if you can, and if you care, please follow me on IG at music underscore murder underscore podcast. Again, sorry, that was music underscore murder underscore podcast. And if you'd like to send me some music to check out for the show, or you'd like to be a guest on the show, please message me on that same IG. I'm no longer using the email address that I mentioned on the previous episodes because most people just message me on IG or Facebook, so I just deleted it. I'm going to leave you with a Marvin Gaye song and sincerely, thank you. Thank you for spending this time with me. It means a lot. Episode 11 had 52,266 downloads when I last checked, which was yesterday. And I am just overwhelmed and I appreciate it. And thank you all for making that happen. It means more to me than you will ever know. I don't care about ever making a dime off this podcast. I don't care if people think I'm a dick. But I do care that I'm actually not wasting my time to where nobody listens. So thank you for that. Till next time, take care of yourself. Love yourself. Cut anyone and everyone that's toxic completely out of your life. And smile. It looks good on you. And always, always remember. Just because you're paranoid... It does not mean that they're not out to get you. Because they are. They are definitely always out to get you. And sometimes, it may even be your own father.
Okay, so we are on with Art Silva, the promoter that everybody hates because he's a dick. But he's not a dick as much as I am, so it's all good. So when uh, when the I fuck did you move I the tool house? Be a dick if I try. What's that? What, what? Oh, you can be what a dick. Come on. I taught you better <laughs> well, than that. Uh, no, I know. What am I doing tool house? Um, well, I moved up here about uh, a year, a little over a year, after a cheating breakup. So oh, that's right. yeah, you had, I moved you had a up girlfriend to, for a while. Two two years. Damn. So that was a while. Yeah. Yeah. So I left and moved up. Well, I I actually grew up here. So I went to school up here, high school and junior high, elementary. So oh, shit, I never knew I, that. Yeah. No. Not the same thing is like not really. A lot of people really know me. I'm very private. So moved back home and I'm actually it was the best thing for me. Like mental health wise and everything, and I'm producing more shows than ever, a lot more than I ever was before. So it was actually a blessing. Yeah, it's a it, Toll House is a beautiful place. Like the water, like that's the thing I love about up here is the water. Like you don't have to have a filter, you don't taste the bleach, like all that. You know the valley water, like it's yeah. You, well. You're on you're on a well. You're on a well. Yeah. Then. Yeah. So it actually quenches your thirst. It tastes good. It's just like, I, I, that's one thing I miss the kid is the water. It, as awkward and weird as that might sound, like. It totally yeah, sounds having, like, fucking water, insane. Like you wouldn't even know. <laughs> uh, it's just, everything up here is just so, na- it's just natural. It's not so, you know, like toxic. It's, it's the natural you can hit, you know, you know, things growing. Let's start off with, uh, with, with who you are. Tell, tell the listeners kind of like who you are, and I will lead uh-huh. into that. So who, who you are to me is, I remember 
doing sound for all these different bands at Big Game, and you were the kid that was always there fucking learning the business and, yeah, you know, uh, messing with Numbskull and learning a lot of things from them and stuff like that. And by the way, I, I like that you're on here now because I always tell people, you know, I've done sound for Avenged Sevenfold, My Chemical Romance, all these fucking bands, and it's like, I think people are usually thinking I'm fucking lying. <laughs> I'm like, no, yeah, I'm, no I'm, re- totally. I'm really not. I, I, I did. I do sound for him after they like became super famous. No, but yeah. I did. I, I did do sound for him. Yeah. So. Like, I mean, at those times, like there were so many shows going on. There were just so many different like genres. But like at that time, like it was like the, the metal, the, the hardcore, the emo scene was coming in. The windmill so, dancing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, like what? Like when your name comes like comes up when like the conversation. I was like, dude, Mike. Like like I used to sound for me. Like at Big Game and and, and uh, either, the pizza place. Yeah, Pizza Land. Like yeah. Like a lot of people don't know these places. It's so weird. Like it's like you mentioned Big Game. They're like, what? What's that? Like, yeah. Holy shit! Like. Really it was a good like, about what five years? I mean, was it, it? It seems to me like it was about a good five years that we were doing shows over there. Yeah, it seemed like it. Like it, it's a you know honestly, dude, it's a huge blur for me. Huge. Yeah, my, unless there's a fight broke out, some titties flop out, like something like oh shit. I remember. Oh, there. I remember pretty much remember. everything really well though. Uh, my friend Frost Loke, he was actually telling me just two days ago he was talking about gutter mouth because he. He went out of town to, to uh, see Guttermouth, and he was talking about how yeah. they played the donkey song or something for him a long time ago, and he was talking to the singer, and the singer just pretty much brushed him off. And I'm like, yeah, this guy's been playing forever, you know? I said, I personally yeah. did sound for fucking Guttermouth three different times. What was your yeah. actual first show that you actually did that was like oh, like, a, like a big show that was like a gamble that where my, you're like, boy, I hope this oh, doesn't my, my fucking blow up? My first big show that was a gamble? Static X at Rainbow Ballroom. Nice. Uh, I actually opened up that, for them when they played in uh, Selma with the Karazira thing. Yeah, I remember that too. I was there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah our singer had it, the fight. He had, it was a, they did the fighting thing. So he literally went from like on the ring fighting everybody right. and, and jumping up on fucking stage to, to open up for Static X. I remember that. Holy shit. Like, see, like, I. Things I completely forget about, and then like when I talk to somebody from like that era of time, so that I do remember the the whole boxing or the whole that was actual battle. Yeah, yeah, it was actually wow. pretty. It was actually pretty fucking cool. And uh, then yeah. the, the one guy was actually saying that it was there. There was some guy from some band that said that he was cheating, and then Peanut, uh, Peanut, our singer. His name's Clint, and uh, he he was actually like, "Well, let's fucking fight without the gloves, motherfucker." You know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it turned it turned into a little bit of a heated battle back then, and uh, yeah, I haven't seen Clint in a long time. I hope he's doing good, but uh, it was it seemed like a golden era. Like it was just like, man, if you weren't there, it's even hard to explain how much alive and supportive everyone like at the time was. And there wasn't a lot like, of shootings and shit. I mean, like it was yeah, actually it was none of that shit. Like there was a couple was of fights fear. that broke out, but nothing big. It was it was it was really a, like a really family setting. Like all the genres got along. It, it was everybody came out to everything, and you know, I was I'm actually like really like happy that I was actually part of the, the whole early 2000s. Me too. Me, me too. I mean, I you know, it, my legacy might only be Fresno. Yours is a little 
more spread out than mine and you got to meet a lot of fucking people and hang out with a lot of, you know, big people. I never did that, but you know, uh, being in six ounce gloves for a couple of years, that was pretty cool. I got to yeah. uh, do sound for all these different bands. I got to open up for all kinds of people. And, you know, I even got to meet Gavin from Bush. Thanks to you. That was 2012. It was, right? it, it was, it, I think it was 2012. I think it was, in fact, I think it was June of 2012 because that was when yeah, I had it was my June, broken I remember leg. that. It was, it was off the Cedar tour. We got them off, uh, off the Cedar tour. I'm a huge fan of, of Bush. If anybody like gives a fuck, but like, that's one of my favorite bands in the entire world. Yeah. And, um, I just love Gavin and I've seen him multiple times and it seems like every time I've seen him, it's been stadiums, you know, it's been fucking like, you know, he's, He's got 10, oh, 15,000 people They just there. get lucky, you know, like, like I wouldn't say lucky, but like they just land on those good tours. They fit on a lot of bills. So they're never going to fade away. They're just always going to be there. So it's no, like Gavin, landing. Gavin's worth so much goddamn money. I mean, I'm sure that just from marrying Gwen Stefani, he's probably got $100 million. He just loves to play. So as far as the Marvin Gaye thing, as much as you know about music, and you know we'll we'll get into talking about some people too, but I mean, when I first called you about this and stuff like that, um, you know, I'm sure that you probably thought the same thing that I thought when I heard about the case. I'm like, okay, Marvin Gaye, this isn't nothing I want to fucking do. I want to do something modern. I want to have clips. I want to have 911 calls. I want to have all this shit. And it's like, okay, this is back in 1984. But then I started seeing cross-dressing preacher dad that beat him and shit like that. And he's the one that shot him with a gun that uh, Marvin bought him and stuff like that. I mean, did you trip out on it as much as I did? Or was you just kind of like, I, eh. I tripped out of just how fucked up his dad was. I knew like he shot his son, but I didn't, I, you know, uh, I didn't know the whole cross-dressing. So I was like, I kind of was like, what? And very flamboyant. You know, it wasn't like he just yeah. did it. Like he fucking was like in a neighborhood. So you're, you're talking about a black man. And I mean, I, I talk about these type of things very, very, especially now that I got so many listeners on this show. Like, I mean, it's hard. I don't even know if black's the right word to call an African-American or, or whatever, because I hear that that's uh, not the right term. I already but, know these days. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's so hard to keep up. But I'm, but either way, he was he was a black man back in the, in the 40s and 50s, and he was a preacher. He was an alcoholic, and he literally dressed up like a woman all the time. So my first thought is, what church... Would have a have a preacher let and let them do all this stuff, you know? It's kind of, it's kind of crazy. It and, sounds like almost like a cult like thing, you know? Like, <laughs> and the only reason why I bring him up, bring up the fact that he was black, is back then. I mean, you had a lot of racism, but also um, when I say that, when I talk about him being black, I talk about black people, especially back then, really embraced church. I think even more than like white people for the most part, like they took that shit really seriously. Yeah, the whole gospel thing. Exactly. So it's like for them, for any church that that was, you know, that had a black preacher to to allow that type of behavior just kind of trips me out, you know, just hearing about that. I mean, was was the abuse of public at that time? I don't, I don't think it was. And I mean, honestly, back then, I think that everybody pretty much beat their fucking kids. You know, I don't think it was that big of a deal like it is nowadays. You know, nowadays yeah. you go to jail if you look at your kid wrong. But back then, yeah, you could, as long as you didn't kill him or completely break bones and shit like that, and there was really nobody that really gave a fuck. How time has just completely flipped. Oh yeah, it's it. Like I said in the in the episode, like literally, it was a, it was a different time. It was a different era. And then I said it was a different fucking world. 
It literally yeah. was a different world back then. And you're talking Washington, D.C., and honestly, I've been through Washington, D.C. Uh, I toured with a band called Park Lane. We, we, we went through there and played a couple shows and then went to Washington, Oregon, all these places. But I don't know, I don't know shit about Washington, D.C. I don't know nothing about like what the demographic was back then or anything like that. So People that, you know, it seems like people that have a fucked up path, a fucked up upbringing, they produce like the best fucking music or they, they produce wonders or you know they they're known for something artistic yeah well it's just like i said at the at the end about because i you know being in the nashville scene and stuff like that for a while when i was over there i mean it's basically all writing circles it, it's it's workshops it's let me teach you how to fucking write a song and stuff like that and it's like that's yeah. all bullshit i i tell people Live your fucking life. It's the same way as like being an author or anything like that. If you don't have personal life experiences, then you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And you're, yeah. how are you going to convey emotions if you never felt these emotions? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, there's certain things people do just because of that certain incident or there's some sort of tragic or you know, something that's so devastating, you know, like the best people come from that, you know? And, and, and I think it's ups and downs. Big... I said at the end that like, you know, what makes a good songwriter suffering and, you know, having addiction sometimes helps and stuff like that. But I, I don't mean that like your life has to be a living hell to be a good songwriter. What I, what yeah. I mean is that you need to know what fucking sorrow is. You need to know yeah. what suffering is. You can't just grow up with a silver spoon in your mouth and everything in your life be completely fucking perfect and expect yeah. to be able to sit down and write a heartfelt song. You know, it's just, it just doesn't work that way. Nah, that's cookie cutter. Exactly. I mean, like maybe Katy Perry can pull it off or whatever, but yeah, I mean, like for the... <laughs> with like 50 people writing, you know, a simple tune. Yeah. I remember seeing a Beyonce <laughs> song one time that literally had fucking nine co writers, and I think there was only yeah. about 10 words in the song. So I'm like, okay, so everybody just put in a word? Well, in Nashville nowadays, like a lot of the, the singers, like say you write a song and Luke Bryan or somebody does it, Jason L.D. and Eric Church or one of the bigs. They will basically change two fucking words in that song just to be able to say that they that they co-wrote it. It's like yeah. it's 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 such a fucking joke these days. It's like unless you have the real deal, and there are some some real deals out there that are singer songwriters and they just write their own fucking songs, you know, and they and they sing yeah. their songs like Cody Jinks and they're they're you know I can go on and on with some some real people, but for the most part, it's all fucking smoke and mirrors. It's like okay, let's get this guy up there and. Now, Luke Combs came out, and he's actually giving the songwriters, you know, more credit and stuff like that. And there's some good things, oh, too. Good. But for the most part, it's like it people just hide the songwriters, and they're forgotten. And it, it's it's really fucked up because the songs are very important. Yeah, I mean, a lot... I mean, a lot of people don't realize, like, that some of those pop bands, like, it's a business. Like, they are there to put out music that's very, very catchy. They know how to make those catchy, you know, tunes and those hooks. And they know how to get the whole appealing of their looks and everything. It's in the merch. From the way they huh? dress? From the way they dress everything, to everything. everything. It's, it's, it's a f everything. Like, the way they look, the way they sound. Like, it's it's... The money goes to here, here, here to get them going. It's, and they have control you know, groups. They have control groups that listen to stuff. And, you oh, know, it, it's, it's, it is just literally 100% of business, which means what it, what isn't it if it's a business? It's There there has to be a happy medium. I, I get that the music has to be a music business, but when you take 
it only as a business that takes all the fucking artistry out of it. It totally does, hundred percent. I mean, it, it, I mean, not all music out there is like that. There's actually legit artists like struggling writing, producing, and putting out their own music on their own way. And, and you know, well, look at Chris music, Stapleton. Awesome I mean, I know I'm talking more about country because you know, obviously, I'm doing more country these days. But I'm the same yeah. that like. It took Chris Stapleton forever because he was a little overweight and he wanted to do things old school. He wanted to record live. He wanted to bring back that fucking vibe, you know, that Waylon vibe, that Hank vibe. And nobody, no, none of the record labels were like that. They're like, no, you need to sound like Florida Georgia Lion and we need the auto tune. You, you need to lose 20 pounds. It's like, no, you know, he waited until he could do it on his own. And then everybody just said, where the fuck has this guy been? Well, this guy has been singing for Still Driver for about fucking 15 years now. And he's been writing songs yeah. for everybody else because nobody wanted to take a chance for him because he wasn't just like everybody else. A lot of these groups, bands, artists are getting known by the road. Like, you know, they're, they're producing, you know, catchy TikTok things or YouTube. Like, they're they're producing themselves. And they're actually selling tickets or actually getting on tour. Like, you know, the whole label is not really needed these days. It hasn't been years. So it, it, music, It's hard for a band to get into a stadium level by themselves. But can they play, can they play a place that, that holds a couple thousand people? For the most part, yes. And does it does it happen with people making it on their own? Fuck yeah, it does. It it, it yeah. does. I mean, look at uh, what, what's the guy's name um, that did that did a thrift shop. I can't even tell you right now. Uh, uh, oh God, I, I can't believe. It, I, yeah, I can't believe. I can't remember his name. But supposedly he did everything without it without a, a record label. But I guarantee, I guarantee that he had a shit ton of money behind him from somebody. Oh yeah, money does help. So I, it, I mean, you have to if you have a good song. Like, I mean, I think I've written a lot of good songs. I've had, uh, there's a couple that I've had over a million streams in one year on and stuff like that, but I don't have the money to shoot a good video. I don't have yeah. the money to, to, you know, get it to to the right people to to actually just promote it. So money is yeah. very important. You know, people want to see a good video. Yeah. They want to hear a good production. Right now, just to record a good song with a decent producer that's going to actually give you FM quality sound, you know, you're talking six $7,000 a song. Yeah, it and it actually what it boils down to is it's it's not what you know, it's who you know. It, it does help. It does help. But even these guys, when you know them, you know, if you if somebody says like, oh, my cousin is uh, this or that, and uh, you know, you should talk to him. The first thing he's going to say is, okay, write me a check for twenty grand. Yeah, that, that, and it goes back to what I was saying. It, you know, the business, like it's it's a circle. It's the uh, stations. You pay them to be on billboards. It's a uh, it's a. Uh, it, and, Crazy game. And it's like we talk about the 1% that run everything, but also there's a 1% that run the music. It's like you don't know how many people that I've talked to that I've, I tell them about how FM radio works and stuff like that. And they're like, no way. You have to pay them to be on the radio? And I'm like, I, uh, they don't give a fuck who you are. They don't give a fuck what your name is. They're going to sell the same amount of advertising, the same amount of listeners. So if you have somebody like Luke Bryan or Jason Aldean or something that releases a new song, and then you got somebody like me that releases a good song, and I say, here, I'm going to give you 300 grand to play mine, which one are you going to play? You know, they're in it for the fucking money. So it's like, I don't care who the fuck you are. You are paying if you're going to be on FM radio. And then I bring up things like Aaron Lewis. I bring up people like like that that have this crazy cult following. But he's not on FM radio because he's not going to pay that kind of money. You don't hear Garth Brooks on new country radio because he doesn't fucking pay the money. You know, it's like the, the, these guys, they don't if they don't have to pay three or four hundred thousand dollars because everybody's going to listen to his stuff anyway 
by other means, why would they why would they pay that kind of money? Yeah. Being a band like cars, he's are established. He's you know he's a media. But he's not on he's not on the only time a country a country station is gonna play him is literally if it's a classic country station or and I'm talking FM radio. I'm not talking like Pandora or anything like that. Or yeah. if they're 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 bringing him in the town for a concert. Yeah. Other than that, you are going to hear a whole bunch of fucking one hit wonder dudes that are just coming out that finally found some money to put behind them, and that and that's just the way it is, and it's sad. But FM radio is really getting on its way out. I mean, CDs are already fucking dust. I I still have some yeah. CDs it's that sad I sell. To see us, that, but yeah, I mean, they're they're. Do you, do you collect CDs? I I actually like CDs because I like wave files and I like the way that CDs uh, sound and I always yeah. have CDs at my shows and when I run out I will pick up a couple hundred more because a lot of people will still pay twenty bucks for a, you know a CD usually at yeah. one of my shows if I play a winery or something like that where nobody knows who I am I'll sell a couple but if I play like you know a, a town or something where people actually know who the fuck I am I, I'll probably sell 10, 15 CDs and. It's it's definitely gas money and it definitely helps, but I yeah. mean, like it's not like it used to be. I mean, the paper doll CD, which you actually did the 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 uh, promotion for the you the actually did, you, you, you did the show yeah. for that. That to Starline. this day has sold over ten thousand copies of that CD, and wow. I'm proud I of that. I have a few too. I, I have a few of those copies. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah. I, I got two thousand at a time, and I've and I've had to go back and get uh, I've had to go back and get them five times. I've ordered two thousand, and uh, it just keeps selling. Wow. And I don't know why. <laughs> what was that? It was like two thousand ten or something like that. Two thousand nine. It was November of two thousand nine. Wow. Yeah, we'll have to do like a reunion show, like the thirteenth year or something like that, because it has thirteen <laughs> songs on it. That's coming up. Like oh, actually, that would so be down. this year, wouldn't it? Thirteen years. Yeah. Yeah. This year, in November. Wow. So let's talk. Crazy. Okay, so one of my favorite guitarists in the world is somebody that you know, John Five. Yeah. How many times have you got to hang out with that guy? Oh, geez. Uh, I mean, I, I've I've known him since the two thousand, almost two thousand eight, two thousand nine, some of that. Yeah, you watched you watched uh, yeah, him grow. Times, you watched him grow for sure. I mean, we, we I think the first time maybe two thousand ten. We uh, we did Rob Zombie at the Crest Theater. Yeah, yeah. Was, a, was that 2008? Was that that long ago? It was either t- maybe 2010. It's like I said, it's a, it's a blur. Like I literally have to look for a flyer. Yeah, it or, was. It was Google definitely it. a while back because I moved out of Fresno in 2012, or was it 2013? Yeah, but I know it was, it was a few years before that. Yeah. So and then yeah, from there, you know, he really started really pushing his uh, solo stuff and. I loved the shit out of solo stuff. Like it was like I loved his work. And any chance he like was any sort of touring, I I think you know. All right, all right John Fresno, let's do it. He loves it. He loves Fresno. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I've I've seen him backstage at Ozfest, uh, everywhere. You know, when I go down there in L.A. the big festivals. The way, the way uh, yeah, he, he can actually, the way he can actually play the star spangled banner while walking around an entire fucking arena with his mouth it just blows my fucking mind because i mean i consider myself a pretty goddamn good guitarist there's really nothing that i've ever tried to play that i can't play and it's like that guy i watch that guy i don't even want to look at a guitar i don't even i'm like i'll I'll be like i don't i don't play guitar john five plays guitar i i don't i don't touch him. him It was after I remember I don't I don't remember what show it was, but I remember after the show I went up to him. I was like, John, I, I fucking hate you, man. Yeah. He was like, What? Why? What? I was like, Dude, 
you make me want to quit playing guitar. Yeah, because I'm like, never going to no reach way your level. Fucking hell, I'm going to get to that level. Like, what? what's the, beyond that? Like, there's no way. He just says laughing. If guitar playing was uh, dicks, like, his dick would literally be, like, 30 inches long. I mean, it's like, how the fuck can you compete with that? It's like, he, he is just insane. The only thing I could yeah. even compare him to, maybe Zach Wild, but I think he's way better than Zach Wild, but maybe Steve Vai. Because Steve Vai is, like, fucking crazy. I don't know if you ever, like, watch any videos of Steve Vai, but he did the Crossroads movie. Guy. With... Who? Satriani. Yeah, Satriani is, he's he's really good, but he's he's a little more predictable. I don't know. Like, John Five is just, i I just seen him do things with the oh, guitar. Yeah, it's discouraging. It's very discouraging. <laughs> yeah, it's like, where do these guys come from, and how do they get this power, and who do they sell their soul to? And, so, oh, and John is the most humblest guy ever. Yeah, like, I've seen one interviews show, with him. I, I, you know, I'll give him cases of water. Him and his wife got the cases of water and went down got out of the van for handing water to homeless people. Wow. I saw that and I was like, John, I like, I don't know how much more I can love you. Like this, he's just one of the like, people, like he's just a, the nicest guy ever. And if any of so anybody is listening right now, like literally if you've never watched a video of John Five, just just go onto YouTube and watch the guy. I, I mean I've done multiple like interviews on this show and I've talked about guitarists and stuff like that. Like I don't endorse people and like throw names out there and stuff. John Five is literally one of the most fucking incredible like musicians you will ever fucking see in your entire life. I mean, like just it's phenomenal what he does. Every time. <laughs> Away. So you were talking a little bit about we, we talked for a second um, about the show and everything because obviously you don't listen to my show because you're too fucking busy. But it's it's okay. <laughs> it's no, okay. So bad. But no, uh, I am. I'm crazy that busy. Yeah, go ahead. But we were talking about the the dime bag show. Um, yeah. Did did you uh, did did you learn anything like on that episode? Was there anything that you didn't know that you were just kind of like you I, had an aha moment or anything like that? No, I didn't know uh, about. Uh, the killer, like I like, what was his name? Nathan. Uh, Nathan Gale. Yeah, yeah, Nathan Gale. Like I didn't know, like him, you know, try to sing for other bands, like claiming it's his songs and it's actually Pantera's lyrics. He he was literally uh, crazy. He was literally out of his mind. I mean, I I, I yeah, literally hated the dude until like I really did a lot of research, and and he was fucking crazy. He was just he was crazy, and I mean. Do I still hate him and wish he wasn't born at for, you know after he killed fucking dime like that? Yeah, but I mean like hate him as a personal person. The dude was obviously out of his fucking mind. He didn't know what he was oh, doing. Yeah, totally mentally ill, like very obsessed with Sam. Like to be like that scorned and hurt because your favorite band broke up. Like Yeah, and, and to blame it on him, I mean <laughs> it's like why did you blame it on him? They had a disagreement. It wasn't like it wasn't like he, he got caught fucking doing something and the band kicked him out. It's like they, they had a disagreement and just like I said in the in the thing, I'm like facts are hard to come by, you know, with what happened between them and Phil and I am not gonna get in the middle of that and have a bunch of yeah. Pantera fans telling me, Shut the fuck up, you don't know what you're talking about. I just said, I don't know. I just know that they were unhappy and they left the band. Oh, you, did you get did you get just some hate from that? No, no, no. I just I, I definitely tried to cover oh. my ass on that. Because uh, their fans are crazy diehards. Um, totally, totally. So, and, and I am I'm a Pantera fan just as much as anybody else. I know how to play every oh, motherfucking yeah. Pantera song on guitar that there is. So it's like. But I mean, would I even try to like what would be the right word? Like, would I try to even like come up with like theories or something on that? No, I would just say, look, I don't fucking know. 
I don't know why they left the band. I just know that they left the band and they weren't happy. Um, and that's obviously a fact because they wouldn't have left if they were happy. Yeah. Well, when you, a band usually breaks up, it's usually just some sort of unhappiness, you know? You don't break up, you don't leave a band all happy. Yeah. <laughs> this band's great. I think I'm just going to quit. If it's that bad, you're like, fuck the guys and I'm, I'm this fucking happy. You know, I'm gonna... And bands are hard. It's hard to be in a fucking band. I've been in a million of them and like it's... That's the reason why I'll never be in a band again. And and I really can honestly say that I, I hire people to, if I open up for a national act, which is about as big as I get these days, I could, I, you know, I open up for, for a few people in the last few years and, and uh, that's it. And what I'll do is I'll just, I, I will hire people that will play my songs, you know, and yeah. that's, that's really, I, I'm not, I, I've been in too many bands where I've put everything into it from gas money to recording money, to spending fucking hours to have one person fuck everything up. Fuck yeah. that. I am just over that. And I mean, you know, I'm I'm older now. I mean, fuck, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say my age, but, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I've been I, I've been there and I've done that. And I like being a solo artist a lot better. It's it's definitely a lot more yeah. freedom and a lot less fighting, a lot less fucking stress. But, I mean, is it easier as a writer? Like, you know, because, I mean, writing with other people, you, you know, you come up bouncing ideas back and forth and writing quicker. Is it easier for you as a solo artist? Yeah, it, I've always pretty much been like, every band that I've been in, I've pretty much been the complete 100% songwriter anyway, except except for Six Ounce Gloves. I didn't write one single fucking note in Six Ounce Gloves. Yeah. I just I just joined the band and, and you know, took over. And uh, as far as like the guitar parts and, I mean, James was, was, was there, but I just kind of like tried to throw some lead and stuff in there and like, you know, just kind of spruce it up a little bit. But I didn't write one single word. I didn't because, I mean, they were already yeah. established. But every other yeah. band that I was in, you know, um, I can't say I wrote every every word or anything, but I definitely like wrote pretty much all the music to everything and stuff like that. And for me, I, I like to write stuff that like, I've lived. I like the right stuff that I know about. So it's easier to just, you know, not have anybody else with me to do that. It's it's a very intimate process for me to to write music. I, I like to do it by myself. The the hard part is basically promoting by yourself and recording by yourself and paying for everything all by yourself is a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Like it's like you want some backup. It's like doing everything alone, taking on the world alone with it. It's 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 hard. And I mean, over here where I live now or in Fresno or anything like that, I mean, I'll pull as many people easily as as any local bands. So it's like it's it's nice that I could do that alone. But at the same time, it, it is it is very, very taxing on you. That's what I do miss is is having that camaraderie. I miss having somebody have my back, miss having somebody to share the stage with and stuff like that. That yeah. that is stuff that, that I I do miss definitely. Feel that. Speaking of, are you are you still playing? Uh, do you still have like like Leather Serpent going or anything like that? Um yeah. Um I I I actually have a couple fun bands and then and I I don't I, I used to play a lot in jello. Um That's right. You were playing with Green Jello. For all of you that don't yeah. know who Green Jello is, it's little pig, little pig, let me in, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. Who that you've... was my least favorite song to play. <laughs> they, they they do have some better songs, yes. Oh no, they have. Oh, those better songs are sure. That one's just the most catchiest known one, but I and mean, the, it's video, fun to play, the video, the video was just incredible. Flop. 
repetitive, better, like heavier songs like I used to like playing. But yeah, those are good fun times. And uh, the, the shows are just fucking great. I mean, like I oh, got the, I got to open up for them. I think two different times with with you that you had me open up a couple oh, times. Of course, we had like five that. openers, but I mean, like no, I I opened up twice. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Like I mean, that band's played Fresno quite a, quite a, a time, lot of times. I would say at least two. yeah. At least. Are they, like still, are they still playing? 2008. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's grown a lot bigger for sure. But, yeah, it's very, very active. Like, doing TV shows and uh, mainly they're focusing on t- this crazy ass. Like, like that. you know, if you know Green Joe, back in the day, they had like this wild, like, shows. Like, crazy puppet shows. So now they're... Yeah, it's kind of like, like war or something, but not just so fucking, like like violent yeah it was more comical like really are they really doing that but yeah it was you know Laura was actually like really really good friends with bill the singer and they kind of fit the bill <laughs> yeah but yeah it's wild like just being in that uh realm for, for like all, all those years like touring like getting that like that uh a taste of like what would a you know a rock star quote quote would be going down where like maynard lives and stuff like that and yeah arizona yeah my yeah my my best you friend know? kev like he he actually he's seen tool like almost 100 times now and he he's he went down there and got a bottle he he uh, actually he got a case of wine from maynard i actually have a bottle here yeah so. like yeah some people don't really realize like maynard and danny carey were in green jello at one point one time i didn't i didn't know that you didn't know that no really? like i really didn't know the that. whole okay the, the, the three little pigs song the chorus you know the, the very high pitch that's maynard, that's maynard. No and shit. that drummer yeah and the drummer of that album is danny carey wow yeah, Tool pretty much started in the Green Jello loft. They, you know, Maynard and I should live with Bill, the singer. I, I read Maynard's book. Perhaps I, perhaps he he mentioned that. Oh, yeah. this, oh, the stories I know. I, mean, I could talk for days, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much a lot of bands kind of got their job. You know, Bill's helped out with Manson. I think Trent Reznor. I guess. And this this is music and murder. So when you say this. Manson, make sure that you say Marilyn Manson and not Charles Manson. <laughs> Oh yeah, you can get mixed up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think pretty much half of my crowd is like diehard tri, true, true crime fans, and the other half are like musicians. So I try to like bring them both oh, together. Yeah. You don't probably realize where he got the name from, you know. <laughs> and I finally got it to where I could actually, uh, I, I, I'm paying, I paid the uh, fee to be able to fucking play whatever I want. So that's the reason why, like now, and like the first few episodes, you just listen to uh, me just play like local bands that aren't signed and stuff like that, but. Now I can yeah. play whatever the fuck I want, so it's like I, I I like to do that. That's the reason why I started off with uh, "Twist from Corn" because I just love that little song. It's a nice little yeah, intro. Yeah, it's a great opening. It is a great opening. It's like it, it, it. I love when I've seen I've seen Corn now. I think fucking fifteen times. So it's like yeah. they used to re- always open up with that song before they even did like Blind, and uh, yeah. then they kind of kind of backed away from doing that i don't know why but I, I love that song that's like one of my favorite little 40 second songs from them it's fucking amazing and yeah, i never, just kept playing it <laughs> and i remember the first time that i heard it i'm just like oh my god i knew these guys were original but what the fuck is this yeah they, they change i mean there's three bands that stand out to me in the history of rock music that changed everything and i think corn is one of them nirvana is one of them actually four sorry there's kiss metallica corn 
and Nirvana, I, I think, are like the four fucking biggest bands that changed everything. If you ask me, it's like the bands that actually changed the direction of music. Like, like for instance, Nirvana. Like, they changed. Like, it was all about hair metal. And then, bam. Garage. Totally. Totally. Yeah, and it, it killed the hair metal. Like, in the, in the 80s, bands tried to, tried to jump on the whole grunge and failed and you know so like nirvana for sure like they changed they changed that time like, and allison changed too i mean out of out of all of the seattle bands i mean you got your pearl jammers you got the nirvana people but you got sand garden people but my god i mean like allison chains to me like oh god i it's been a long fucking day but i can't remember the the singer's name lane stanley Le, yeah i was trying to think of his last name i, I remember his first name but i was just like when, yeah. when he died that was just fucking horrifying because oh, i just i just yeah. loved his voice oh anything he had done like mass season for like, that album alone like, yeah 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 just in his uh, writing everything just so fucking incredible my favorite what's your what's your favorite allison chain song like of all oh, time, geez. if you had to pick one, I would have to go with "Don't Follow." That's a good one. That's a good one. My it's my favorite one is "Sad and Depressing." It's it's very rare, but uh, I don't think anybody else would ever say this. But "We Die Young," the very first song on Facelift, it's just uh, I just fucking love that song. That first opening, so powerful. It's just yeah, so hard. It's like like love, hate, love. Like, yeah, that's a great. His the, vocals on that, so his vocals alone, it's like holy shit, you know, like it's yeah. hard to pick a fucking favorite song about him. And he really was a singer. I mean, I love what Kurt Cobain did and stuff like that. But Kurt Cobain, to me, was wasn't a singer. He he definitely had a good, unique voice, and you could feel his emotions through his voice. And I oh, love yeah, that. Definitely. So I'm not taking nothing away from Kurt Cobain. I'm just saying, but I I could see. You know, I, I I could see Lance like actually fucking like you know doing like opera and shit like that too. Like he was just a great fucking singer with an incredible range. Yeah, I I, I mean, Kurt Cobain, you got to think like his sloppy ass guitar playing. You can't mimic that. Like he's known for that. Like I mean, yeah, his his words and all that too. But like just like you hear out of chains, you hear Lance's voice, you automatically boom. You just know. You hear Nirvana songs, just the guitar alone, you're like, I asked Cobain. Like, he totally, has this totally. weird, unique sound and how he distorted and bends and just not give a shit. He was like, I'm not playing proper timing here. Like, just like. And for his producers up. and the record labels to actually let him get away with that, too, and everything is. I mean, that's what I hate about, like, the Nashville scene and stuff with what's going on with the country. It's like, okay, we're going to play one bar. We're going to auto-tune the fuck out of it, and we're just going to put that one bar through the whole song. Because heaven forbid your guitar is a little bit about out of tune, or you play one wrong fucking note in there. I yeah. mean, heaven forbid you sound like a fucking person and not a computer. You know what I mean? And it's like, it, it's just, we need to get back to music sounding. I mean, some of my favorite shit to listen to, and Kurt Cobain's too, is, is the old... The old black man in the 30s playing fucking blues, you know, just yeah. the bad recordings that just like you just feel their yeah. soul. You just feel you hit it. A wrong note, you, you hit a wrong note, you bend that fucker. Like, yeah. It's like, that's, yeah, it's totally like the whole sloppiness that pretty much being programmed, like a true artist. Like you fucked up there, but that was awesome. Like, you know, like Van Halen, the eruption, when that note, like yeah. you fucked up, but yeah. they left it. 
Yeah, it was. It's, it's okay. I mean, listen to the first Black Sabbath album, which is still to this day, after they poured you know a fortune into their future albums, they made that record. I believe Geezer Butler said on an interview as I was watching with him the other day, uh, like literally, I think that they paid fucking like two hundred dollars for the whole album. You know, I mean, take that. You know, it was in like the the late sixties, but I mean. Still, two hundred dollars sure. these days would be about maybe three, four thousand dollars, and it's it's an iconic album that everybody's fucking heard. And you know, Tony Iommi's guitar is literally way out of fucking tune through the yeah. whole thing. I mean, Ozzy's singing. <laughs> Ozzy's Ozzy was able to sing. I mean, he, Ozzy was a fucking amazing. You actually singer. hear his words. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was <laughs> he was happy to fucking still talk back then. But I mean, like, it just it it's just I think one of the great things about that is just that it sounded human like it sounded yeah, like you raw. have musicians actually playing it's not just like here's all these perfect fucking pitched songs or, or, or instruments all playing together with somebody that's all fucking auto-tuned it's just yeah. and, and now they're using all that shit even when they play live so it's like even yeah. if you go see a band play live it's like literally this the same fucking thing it's like listening to a record yeah it's a huge turnoff too it really is. It's just, I don't know. I, I just, I hate, I, I, I am glad that Chris Stapleton came out. I glad there, I'm glad there's a lot of other bands that are just starting to, uh, you know, that's the reason why I played that Jelly Roll song tonight and stuff too. Like, I mean, like he's doing a little raw stuff. You could hear when the, yeah. when the guitar plays at the end of that song that it's out of tune a little bit. And I, I just love that. I just think that that's the way that it should be. You know, back then you had analog recording. So, you know, if you messed up, you have to do the whole thing over. <laughs> Exactly, especially if they're recording live, yeah. Yeah, you know, they just were producing music, like, whatever. You know, nowadays, it's just too perfect, you know? There's no raw, there's no realism, it's just everything's going to click so perfectly, it's just... Yeah, it's... Where's the, hu- where's the human on that, you know? There's, there, it's not. It's like you're listening no to soul. fucking robots, you're listening to robots. Yeah. I get to see, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know who she is, I'm sure you know who she is, but she's one of my favorite singers in the entire world, Tori Amos. I'm getting ready to go to LA dude. to see her next weekend. Yeah. I fucking oh, love that woman like i've wanted to see her forever i saw that she was playing in la i'm even gonna get one of those things jammed up my nose because i'm not an anti-vaxxer i don't to each their own i just haven't got the vaccination and i haven't wanted to but i'm literally gonna get a test like just to go to that concert because i want to see her so fucking bad i don't blame you i would see her i you know not a huge fan but as an artist she's good yeah she's fucking incredible phenomenal so so what's going on with you nowadays so what's what what big things you got going on with music right now uh well and by the way for anybody that doesn't know art is a huge promoter like he brings bands in and he you know brings them in and does all the promotions and he takes care of the writers and gets some drugs and you know gets some women to fuck and <laughs> if you watched Ozark and and you saw Jason Bateman bring in uh, Ario Speedwagon, that's the way it is. They say like, "Hey, we we need Xanax, we need this many beers, we need this, we, we need our dick sucked, and uh, you oh, know, we man. need all this shit." What's what's the I, weird, I, before I, you we get into what you're doing nowadays? Go, go go ahead go ahead and say what you're gonna say first, and then I'll, I'll say. I've i seen I've seen some off the wall writers with the bands they book. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what the fuck am I fighting this at? <laughs> like, yeah. But yeah, it's wild. What I've been doing uh, for the last few years, actually, uh, I have a mental health uh, awareness nonprofit. So oh, is, I've been is doing that a lot is of... that the foundation? 
I saw the yeah, foundation. Yeah. Okay, I follow. I, I'm pretty sure I followed it. I know I, I followed two of your pages today, so I think that was one of them. Yeah, I you know so that's a years. And by ago, the way, and... before we forget, tell where every tell everybody where where they could find all your shit at too, including your foundation that you're talking about. Google my name, Art Silva Fresno, Art Silva Foundation. You know, Artaraj. So I mean, Artaraj is this one word, Art. Uh, Raj, R O R, go ahead and spell A R T. Yeah, it's the Artaraj, A R T O U R A G E. So, you know, the Entourage, like the TV show, but it's just Artaraj. Nice. Now, the foundation yeah. again. So, what are you doing with that? It's uh, like, well, I believe, like, you know, mental health, like, you could take medication, you could see therapy, and if that works, great. I do but, all of those, so yeah, I mean, if it works, like. By all means, do I it. think I think therapy but, is a fucking amazing thing. If you if you if your insurance covers it and you can afford it, definitely therapize. Oh uh, yeah, I think and that's very, a word very, I made up yeah. myself. <laughs> yeah, I you know and like 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 myself, you know that never really worked for me. I, I've 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 never really spoke about things, and I'm, like I said before, I'm a very private person. Right. So. I, I just never really talked about things. So yeah. I believed in like other outputs of, you know, getting things out, you know, if it's writing or drawing or painting or guitar or going to shows. Yeah, outlets, so, even going to the gym. An outlet. And that works for me. Like me producing shows all these years, me is like producing a home because I started going to shows as a young, young youngster. Oh, yeah. I, I remember like, meeting you when you were like, what, 17? I think younger than that, man. But we don't need to go there. We don't need to read that. I'm dating are. myself because I think I was about 30 years old when I met you when you were like fucking 17. So I'm like. Yeah, well, it's, it was a long, very long time ago. <laughs> definitely, definitely. But I, dude, I was such a disturbed child and I was really fucked up. And going to shows really gave me that feeling like home, like coming from a broken home. So. Me putting on shows, you know, that like makes me feel like I'm doing the same thing like for other people. Yeah. And I, when I do these shows, I see these people like, holy shit, I know why you're here. You know, if it's like your favorite band or a gathering of, you know, mental health. Like the reason why, given a, a reason people get together, talk about it. And my whole goal is to produce cheap or like really, like the goal really goes free shows. Music should be free. You know, it's a therapeutic it's helping me, it's worked for me, and I believe giving outputs of like, hey, you know, I buy a bunch of gifts for kids, you know, like music, you know, guitars, or, or giving free tickets to shows, or anything, I feel I could do anything I can with my name, that's what I've been doing. Yeah. I've never been so blessed in my whole entire life. And it's a, it. and it's a hard business, I mean, I've, I've, I've heard people badmouth you. I've heard people badmouth every fucking promoter in the world. Like, oh, they're <laughs> yeah. just they're just out for the money. And dude, I mean, oh, honestly, geez, and I'm not Christ. just saying this to you. Like, I've always fucking stuck up for you. I'm like, dude's dude's always been straight with me. Like, I mean, fuck, he's never oh. fucked me over or anything like that. And I've never heard about you like just straight up fucking people over like no, other no. promoters I, that we're not gonna mention. But I'm just saying like, but people still bitch about things because no matter what. If you make a dime off a fucking show, heaven forbid you do all that work and you make a fucking a little bit of a profit, you know, it's like it's like fuck the the dude has to do what he has to fucking do, but he's always been straight with me, so fuck off. Oh, Plus he helped me yeah, meet I'm, Gavin, I'm, so I'm I I, I I actually am too like open when I do any sort of business with anyone. Like I'm very too open. Like you know, I go, Hey, this is what I'm paying, this is what I'm doing, blah blah blah. And you know, 
I do have a few of those little haters out there. That you you still have less than any of the other fucking promoters that I can name. I mean, like, it's, uh, but I'm know, just saying, like, you can't please everybody. And I mean, so do I. No, if you get you a can't. name for and yourself, you, you fucking, you, you have haters. That's, I have a song about that. It's called Haters Gonna the Fucking Hate. The bigger you get, yeah, the bigger you get, the more you do, the more people either want to take you down or support you. And, you know, there's a few times I got really, like, hit with like rumors and so that really just knocked me down and it really fucked me up and you know and then it's what you're saying is like you can't please everyone and like as soon as that really sunk in i stopped giving a fuck what people thought about me or what the hearsay it's like if you really know me like you would know that's bullshit yeah i still don't on this show on this show i still have no idea how i have five stars and there's probably people listening right now they're like oh i'll go fix that <laughs> I just, I just don't, I don't give a fuck. Like literally, this guy, this guy was hitting me up the other day that has a, a pretty successful podcast. He says he's got like forty thousand people or something. And he's, he's like trying to get me to send me my numbers so like we could switch like some advertising and shit. And then he wants to buy advertising yeah. from me. And I'm like, dude, I'm not, I'm not selling advertising. I'm not. I, I, I want my show to be the way that it is. And I'm not gonna fucking like change anything about anything yeah. to do with my show. This is my outlet. This is my therapeutic time to 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 do what i want to do and if people think i'm a dick or whatever that that's fine as long as they know this like i said on on the this marvin gay episode a couple times i'm like i am not homophobic i'm not racist if i'm not yeah. if i'm not using the right terms then you know please forgive me because that's that's not me i'm not that person but if you knew me you you would know that i would say that wholeheartedly if i was <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, you know, I, I don't like this certain type of person or whatever. Like, I, I'm fucking, you know, so against that shit. It's it, it's easy to pick apart someone that has, you know, a name, and totally, and you really, you don't even have to know them. You just know of them. It's usually and jealousy to, too. You know, it's just, yeah. Oh, dude, jealousy is probably the number one thing. But as soon as I realize, you know, the hearsay, whatever, and I, when I realize, you know, what, I can't make everybody happy. If I do a show, someone might, might complain about this or that, or I might not get any complaints, but someone's going to complain about something. The time it started, the, you know, anything. The, the dream prices, they could just like, sometimes out of my control, whatever. But And, and they don't realize, so, they don't realize all the 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 stuff that goes on with, with uh, oh doing my, a no show. Oh my, no one does. The no security, does. Like, the fucking planning, the writers, you know, you got a national dude. act coming in that's, that's, that's going to bring in a few thousand people. There's a lot of shit that comes along with that so if you get 20 fucking minutes and you got to start four hours before them that's the way that it's it's gonna fucking be yeah i mean like, like you don't like people don't realize how much time money goes into a single event just one event where yeah. i'm actually producing four five six at a time and right right you know, you have, and you it's know, your life, and you, and you should be able to make money. Like with this this podcast, like I even said, hey, you don't like me playing my own songs in it? Make sure that I get a, give you a refund for what you spend on it because you ain't fucking yeah, spending nothing. I'm not making any money. I do this because I want to do it. And guess what? Each episode takes about twenty to thirty hours that I just put into yeah. it myself. So, I mean, I feel you, and I and I really think that any promoter that makes it their life needs to fucking make money and people are against that they're like no promoters shouldn't make any money well, what the fuck are they doing it for but you know the, the amount of work that goes into a show like no you do not like the amount of risk like you, you have you know 50 grand writing on a show like would you risk that like like not yeah, you personally a, but like you could have a bag saying, get like, sick you could have you to want, return you know, all the tickets risk, 
Yeah. You want to risk putting all this time, energy into a single event for you to have a good time, for us to have a good time, have like a best time in our lives. You know, like having live music in town is, I think, crucial. We need a fucking nightlife. We need more promoters. We need more people we doing do. shows. And, and, and like, I, I mentioned that on the Dimebag Daryl thing. I'm like, this is Mayor Douche Flute, and he's trying to destroy fucking, you know, our jobs. You know, it's yeah. like it's going to be yeah. all Katy Perry's and Luke Bryan's before long because there's not going to be any mid-sized fucking venues. Those venues closing left and right, especially oh, totally. COVID. Totally. Like, they, and, and the only they, thing that's they, taken over, what's taken over, what do you see at, at, at all the wineries and stuff? And I'm, I'm almost said a name of one, but like the wineries like in Fresno and places like that, you're only seeing fucking tribute bands. So, I mean, what is going to happen when we run out of fucking tribute bands? Is like nobody going to play live anymore? It's it, going to be tribute bands of tributing it's gonna be a tribute of a tribute. <laughs> well hey we gotta wrap it up we gotta wrap it up it's been a fucking hour it's it's been great talking to you art and uh i, I will definitely have you on again we will uh maybe focus on an event or something like that i definitely want to have you yeah. do one of my events in fresno if you i don't know what you're doing on uh june 10th on friday but I'm actually going to be playing one of my only Fresno shows this year at uh, Press Box Three. So if you're around, but yeah, are are you still doing things at that at that one place that you were doing at? What, what I, it was a restaurant, the one, the last oh, one that we talked about. I, it was the one that over by F Street by by uh, by a oh, full circle. Yeah. No, I mean I, I I do have a show coming up, uh, but no, I don't, I'm not. So they're, they're there, still but... they're still doing shows. Where, where are you doing oh, most yeah, of your shows, shows? Where are you doing most uh, of them? I, I just finished one in Shaver Lake uh, a couple hours ago. So you know Shaver Lake, Fresno. Uh, I'm going to start doing some stuff in Bakersfield, maybe Stockton, Sacramento, uh, all over up to California. It's like you know when I was 20, yeah. back at it. Yeah, I would I would like to be a part of that. So yeah, I, I, I definitely. Well, all, all these years of trying. Yeah, I know we've talked about it a million times. <laughs> But uh, during the summer, I can actually play, and I'm actually looking for a few more shows right now. I'm, I'm booking, I'm booking decently right now for coronavirus, you know, finally leaving and stuff. But I definitely, yeah. I definitely have some time to, to do some shows. So we could definitely talk about that in the future. But for everybody listening, this is Art Silva. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, definitely look him up on IG. What, what's your main personal IG? Uh, just look up Art Silva. The Art Silva. Just look up the Art Silva. Yeah, my ugly face should pop up. All right, brother. Well, hey, I'm still, uh, I'm still here. You're still here, and uh, yeah, I'll definitely have you on again. We will talk soon. And uh, the Marvin Gaye episode, crazy shit, 100 fucking percent. I'm happy that you, uh, you were able to do the discussion. I'm finally getting back into trying to do like a discussion for every episode because that was the initial plan, and then I just got so busy sometimes I just had to finish them myself and not have anybody on and it's kind of a it's it's kind of a rough thing to find people that you know that i want to actually have on the show and work out a time and know when i'm gonna get it done and all that stuff so but yeah i got a fucking show early it's already been an hour i gotta edit this and get it uploaded so i appreciate your time my friend and we will definitely oh, talk sure. soon oh for sure man anytime all right art you have a good night my all friend right. all right you too so again, that was my friend Art Silva. I hope you enjoyed everything. He didn't pick a song. I didn't give him a chance to pick a song. So I'm just not even going to put a song on there. You guys already heard four songs during this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, always remember, if you're paranoid, they're still out to get you. That ain't going to change. Have a good night.
Hello. Hey, man. What? You up? No. Wake up. I need to talk to you. I think your house is haunted. Hey, come on. It's 2.30 in the morning. I can't sleep in here, man. I'm scared. Look, there's nothing to be scared of. It's a new house. There's a lot of creaks and moans and groans. Oh, oh, put on. You, watch, you got your TV on? Well, yeah, I fell asleep with it on. Turn, turn on channel 42. 42? Look at them buns. Well, that is a set of buns. And down. And down. And what's she doing exercising at 2.30 in the morning? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a really good point. Hey, I don't know why I'm talking to you. Do you remember that I hate you? Hey, man, you know what I was thinking? You're lucky. I'm lucky? How so? Well, check it out. I'm sitting here in this enormous haunted mansion, can't sleep, and you're hanging out at your mom's. That's awesome. That's like the opposite of awesome. This is like a hotel room with someone else's junk in it. Okay, yeah, you know, well, that's someone else's junk. That used to be my stuff. I'm just having a hard time, man. I'm just calling up for some support. Do you, do, do you know how crazy that sounds? Hey, one more thing. Yeah? When you have the stereo on at the same time as the TV, how do you control the volume on the TV? Why do you want to listen to the TV with the stereo on? Because I like to party. You know what, man? Why am I still talking to you? Come on, we were doing good there, man. I'm taking care of your house good. I, I keep snapping back into it. It's like a trick you're pulling on me. All right, I'll talk to you tomorrow. All right, man. Talk to you tomorrow.